the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hi, I'm Hugh Hewitt. Thank you for listening to the Town Hall Review Podcast, where we bring you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Our podcast is brought to you through partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy and ADF, the Alliance Defending Freedom. Here's a piece that I trust you'll enjoy. Let it never be said that our time did not have truly significant books written. And I have the author of a just-published, truly significant book, or as I refer to it, a TSB. The book is America's Revolutionary Mind. The subtitle really turns me on, and I mean it, because whenever I see moral, I get I get excited. A Moral History of the American Revolution and the Declaration that Defined It. And one of the great scholars of the country, professor of political philosophy at Clemson University, C. Bradley Thompson. Professor Thompson, welcome to the Dennis Prager Show. Hello, Dennis. It's a pleasure to be with you and your audience today. Thank you very, very much. Uh, This is a big deal. This is what people need to understand. Are you familiar with the New York Times 1619 Project? I am indeed. So you realize, I'm sure you do, it's a rhetorical question, that the the dominant newspaper of the country is is introducing into school curricula that the central aspect of America was to protect slavery. Yes. I mean, this is an example of fake news now doing fake history. Um, the argument of the New York Times 1619 Project is that America um, was founded in sin. America was founded, they argue, not in 1776 with the Declaration of Independence, but was founded in 1619 when allegedly the first slaves were brought to the United States, and therefore America was founded in slavery, which means in sin, and therefore America is immoral and an illegitimate nation. And the view of the 1619 Project is that they are going to invest huge resources into indoctrinating all American uh, school children into uh, into this myth, uh, a myth which is simply not true. And the goal of, the, of this project is to is to turn America's children against the principles on which this nation was founded. Um, and I have to tell you, a nation that hates itself cannot stand, and that is the ultimate goal of the 1619 Project. Wow. That was an excellent summary of it. Happily, people like uh, Gordon Wood and, and others who are not conservative are, are, are basically calling it a lie. But it's, uh, it's, it's obviously continuing. What is, the, what is the attempt of your book in regard to America's founding? 
So I think my book uh, works on several levels. When I first uh, set out to write this book, um, I was just going to write a book on the political philosophy and the moral philosophy of the Declaration of Independence. I had just read a very bad book on the Declaration by a Harvard professor, and um, it got the Declaration wrong. And in fact, I thought it was offensive um, in the way it treated its its readership. So I set out to write a book on the Declaration, but very early in in the process of writing this book, um, I read uh, a relatively famous passage uh, in a letter from John Adams to Thomas Jefferson, where Adams asked the question, what do we mean by the revolution? And he said it was not the war. The war had, was uh, only a consequence of the revolution, that the real revolution, he argued, was in the minds of the people. And at the same time, I read another passage um, from Thomas Paine, who, in attempting to explain the American Revolution to the Abbe Renel in France, said that as a result of the American Revolution, he said, we see with other eyes, we hear with other ears, we think other thoughts. Um, and when you take these two passages and you put them together, it, it struck me that that we, in many ways, we didn't really understand after 235 years the deepest causes of the American Revolution. There are, of course, many books, scores, hundreds of books and articles written on the American Revolution. There are social, political, constitutional, military, religious histories, uh, even environmental histories of the American Revolution. But as a result of reading the Adams and Payne quotations, I started thinking there, there has to be a, a deeper level to the revolution. And that led me to this idea uh, following Adams that the revolution was in the minds of the American people. And as he wrote in another letter to Thomas Jefferson, that, that revolution in the minds of the American people was a moral revolution. And when I started putting these pieces together, I realized that Oddly enough, ironically, we don't really understand the deepest causes of the American Revolution. So I set out with a new question. Is there anything new or original to say about the American Revolution? And my answer was yes, that in certain ways, on a certain level, we didn't know the deepest causes. So I then set out uh, on this project to uncover uh, and, and really reveal for the first time uh, the moral origins of the American Revolution. And I think that's probably what makes the book um, most distinctive um, and, and different from all other books ever written on the Declaration and the American Revolution. The book is America's Revolutionary Mind. A Moral History of the American Revolution and the Declaration that defined it. See Bradley Thompson. The book is up at DennisPrager.com. Oh, Gordon Wood, ironically, he's one of the people on the back of the book. A bold new interpretation of the political and moral theory of the American Revolution. It is sure to be provocative. Well, I I am not a historian. I'm not a professional historian. I'm, I'm enamored of history. I think, it's, I think every single student in America should major in history. Because if you don't know what happened, you can't, you can't know the present. And then you, you become stupid because wisdom is to be learned from what happened. And people aren't wise. Anyway, so this is really important stuff. So about my understanding, and tell me where, where I'm wrong or right or, or in the middle, 
is it was indeed a moral revolution that nobody had quite thought the way the founders did and that whole generation. For example, uh, and you might want to comment on this, how the American Revolution differed from the French Revolution. Well, have any thoughts on that? Sure. Uh, the revolutions were entirely different. The American Revolution um, was uh, guided by the ideas of the 17th century English philosopher John Locke, whereas the French Revolution was guided by the ideas and the philosophy of the 18th century French philosopher Jean-Jacques Rousseau. Um, Rousseau's ideas were deeply and profoundly collectivist and statist in nature, uh, whereas Locke's moral and political philosophy pointed toward the principles of a free society. And in 1765, when the revolution was really launched, I mean, you have to consider the context of the time, which was that in 1765, these colonial Americans were really all Englishmen. They were proud and loyal subjects of the British crown. They viewed themselves as Englishmen, uh, and they accepted all the English intellectual traditions. But when the British Parliament passed the Stamp Act in 1765. That violated a foundational principle of British constitutional law, the idea, right, of um, no taxation without representation. But the British at that point had come to view Parliament, the British Parliament, as sovereign, and that it had the power and the authority to pass whatever laws um, that it wanted. The Americans, by contrast, they argue that there are certain rights that go beyond the traditional rights of Englishmen, rights that are particular to Englishmen, that is to a place and to a particular time. If, if America was founded in 1619 upon the arrival of the first black slaves, first African slaves, then every country, uh, virtually every country uh, in South America and Central America and the Caribbean, likewise, they're lying to themselves about when they were actually founded. They were all founded upon the arrival of African slaves. They were. I mean, millions, tens of millions of slaves were brought to the New World. Interestingly enough, uh, only a relatively small minority of them were brought to um, what would then be the 13 colonies of, of Great Britain. Most of them were brought to the Caribbean and to Brazil. Mm -hmm. um, and but, but I think even more importantly, the single most important thing to know in this debate over the 1619 Project is that that the American Revolution and the principles of the Declaration of Independence are the single greatest cause of freedom and the, and the abolition of slavery that has ever happened in human history. Yep. And that is entirely forgotten yep. Um, yep. and neglected by the 1619 right. people at the New York Times. Just, just for my listeners' edification, there was no abolition movement in the Islamic world which had a vast amount of African slavery. There was, no, uh, there was no abolition movement in Africa where Africans enslaved Africans. There was no abolition movement in Asia. It was here. That's the issue, not whether they were slaves. Why was there abolition? I'm speaking to a professor. He is C. Bradley Thompson, professor of political philosophy at Clemson University. 
Before we go on with the French Revolution difference, which we were talking about, I'd like my, my listeners and me to know a little bit more about you. You grew up in Canada, is that correct? Yes, I did. I was born and raised in Ontario, Canada. And what brought you to the U.S.? Well, it all started when I was seven or eight years old, when I read a, uh, a book, a children's book, titled The How and Why Wonder Book of the American Revolution. And from that moment, I knew I was an American born in the wrong country. And um, I always had my sights as a, as a child and then as a teenager on moving to the United States. And the first opportunity I had to leave Canada and, and come here, uh, I did. And I've had a, a lifelong love affair with the United States of America. And um, this, is, this is my home. Wow. You know, that makes, that to me makes perfect sense that you would have felt that you were an American born in another country. Because I believe American values are universal. One of my books is exactly on that thing. We should be exporting American values. How do you resonate? And by the way, I always tell guests it is perfectly okay to disagree with me. So I explain when I speak on campuses, I explain uh, America's belief system. I call it the American Trinity. And I took it from every coin that we mint, and they are uh, liberty in God we trust, e pluribus unum. Is that a fair summary of the American value system to you? I think it's a fair summary of um, some of the core principles uh, of the United States. I myself would put it slightly differently. I think the single, the, the most important words in the more in the American lexicon are, "We hold these truths to be self-evident." I think those are the that is the most important phrase ever uttered uh, in this country, if not in the entire world. And then that phrase is then followed by f- four self-evident truths, uh, which each can be summed up in one word: equality, rights, consent revolution. I think those are the four pillars of the American founding, but the ones that you mentioned is, uh, I think, are also a part of the American uh, founding. All right, back to the uh, French Revolution distinction. Go ahead. So their, their founding father is Rousseau, ours is John Locke. Is that correct? That's first distinction? Uh that is the first distinction. And then I would say the second thing is we established a limited constitutional government, uh, whereas they established um, a government based on Rousseau's concept of the general will, which is a floating abstraction that nobody can actually define. And they, they created um, a government with virtually unlimited power to achieve um, an un unlimited, open-ended moral principle, namely the general will, therefore giving the government of, 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 the, of the French Revolution unlimited power to achieve unlimited ends. And the obvious result was the terror and uh, the genocide of approximately 100,000 people uh, during uh, the years of the terror. So when I think of the distinctions between the two revolutions... I think of their liberty, equality, fraternity. That was their motto. 
And we have what I call the our American Trinity, or even even what you listed. But you did list equality. But the equalities are different. They are equality of outcome. Ours is equality of opportunity. I think that's right. So um, I would put it slightly differently. Ours is equality of freedom or equality of rights, and their understanding of equality is essentially synonymous with sameness. The end goal was to make all citizens the same. Wow. And in, that's, and in fact, what we're, that's what we're living through now, including male and female. Yeah, no, ex- exactly right. And the French Revolution was so radical that they actually uh, attempted to uh, revolutionize, if I can put it uh, in abstract terms, both space and time. And what I mean by that is they completely redrew the map of France. That's the space. They completely redesigned the space of France, and they ushered in a new calendar that began ominously with the year zero. Oh, yes, that's right. I forgot about that. This is a very important point. The French Revolution and sameness. The The left in the West is is the really truly the 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 descendants of the French Revolution is that fair to say yeah I think that is is fair to say uh, we, we've had a lot more bad ideas introduced into the world uh, since the French Revolution we've had the ideas of of Marx and John Dewey um, and John Rawls uh, since then but uh, in principle yes uh, I think the world in which we live today and the dominant ideas are an extension of the principles of the French Revolution. Why are intellectuals attracted to the French rather than the American Revolution? I think um, in part for the reasons you've already suggested, uh, that they put the, the French Revolution um, adds this idea of fraternity uh, to their uh, trinity of, of core principles, and this principle of fraternity is one step on the road to the principles, the core principles of socialism, uh, and more particularly, the principle of altruism. Altruism is the philosophy which says you have a moral obligation to sacrifice your life, your values, for the sake of the general will, or for the sake of the nation, or for the sake of the common good. And that, that is a common, core, fundamental moral principle shared uh, by the left today with French revolutionaries. But the key is, I have no problem with people sacrificing themselves for a good cause. I think it's, people did that in Normandy. Uh, but I, uh, I think the the key thing is they are okay with imposing that sacrifice upon others. That's exactly right. And they're willing to use the coercive force of the state to make everybody um, sacrifice whether they support those values uh, or goals or not. Um, It's a top-down approach to creating a common good rather than uh, what what I think is the American way, which is a bottom-up approach, respecting the rights of individuals um, who, through their voluntary associations, create norms of community um, that, uh, that are not coerced by the government. Are we the only country to be founded with the ideal of limited government? 
think in many ways, yes, certainly in the context of the time in which the revolution occurred in 1776. I would go even further and say that not only were, were we the first nation founded on the idea of limited government, but we were the first nation founded on, on certain philosophic principles. All other governments hitherto had been founded, as Alexander Hamilton says in the first essay of the Federalist, on accident and force. But the United States is the first nation in human history that is founded on certain self-evident truths, certain principles, the idea of individual rights and the sovereignty of the, of the individual, uh, which then leads to the idea of limited government. And so, um, I mean, I think there have been governments that have attempted to do something similar, uh, and there are, of course, in the context of the world in which we live today, there are relatively free governments, but I don't think there's ever been a government in human history up to the present that was founded on the principles of limited government that right. were invoked in 1776. Well, or, 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 in my opinion, since then, the because politicians who are the people who comprise government don't like limiting their authority. That's why, Professor, I tell my listeners all the time, there's an inherent advantage to running as a Democrat or on any left-wing party in the world, whether it's Canada or Britain or France, and that is... They say, vote for us, we will give you more. Republicans have to say, vote for us, you will give you more. We won't. So I want to I ask you another thing about the founding. So we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. They are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. How important was the creator belief to the founders? Well, I think in their private lives, virtually all of the founding fathers were devout and, and, and pious men, and in their public documents, the documents of the revolutionary era, uh, they all attributed the Creator as the source uh, of their rights. Um, I will say, on the other hand, if you read all of the major pamphlets of the American Revolution, from James Otis to Daniel Delaney, Richard Bland, John Dickinson, Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, Alexander Hamilton, et cetera, et cetera, I mean, they aren't making religious arguments uh, for the American Revolution, because the American Revolution was really uh, a constitutional debate between British imperial officials and and American patriots. And so the arguments um, tend to be more on the basis of enlightenment uh, law of nature uh, arguments. They tend to base all of their arguments on the moral laws of nature. But of course, they virtually all, with a few exceptions, believed that the source of the moral laws of nature was, as the Declaration puts it, the Creator. I mean, that to me is dispositive. I, I, just the argument that this was created by secular values alone strikes me as just not true. Well, in the context of the issues that they were debating in the 1760s and 1770s, um, there was really no need for them to go much further than the constitutional arguments. So, for instance, I'll give you a concrete example. 
the great moment of the revolution or of the, of the years leading up to the revolution was 1765. Uh, and of course, the great um, moment was the passage of the Stamp Act. And the debate came down to one issue. The British, on the one hand, argued that the, that the Stamp Act was legal and therefore constitutional. The Americans, by contrast, argued that it was unjust and therefore unconstitutional. So the whole debate then, in the 1760s up through 1774, was on the nature of the British Constitution and on the rights that are guaranteed in the British Constitution. So that was the level, that was the, the, the grounding on which um, they, they based their arguments um, with, with British imperial officials. And even if you look at the pamphlets and the sermons of of uh, American ministers during this period, what's interesting is that they virtually all made their arguments on the basis of the law laws of nature and uh, uh, rights of nature arguments. Um, there was very little scripture debated uh, or used um, publicly in the American Revolution. Right. Uh, I think that is important. I, I just I don't want to lose sight of the very first sentence, though, that in the final analysis, none of it is binding if if there isn't a creator from whom we get our rights. That's all I'm that's all I'm I'm, I'm, I'm emphasizing here. Yeah, and, and I agree. I mean, or I should say virtually all of America's revolutionary founders accepted the position that you've just laid out. Yeah, and it seems to be explicit. I, I just, that's why I don't understand when people can say, you know, it's one thing to say we wanted a secular government, but it's another to say that uh, that a godless society was envisioned by the founders. I, I just, I, I can't imagine that. What do you think, uh, it's a question from the outfield, as it were, uh, what do you think would most shock the founders about America today? Um, it, w- it would be hard to pick one thing. I mean, you all right, could, name three. I don't care. I think. I mean, the obvious thing answer would be almost everything. Um, but I would say, if I had to identify one, it would be this. Um, a, a number of years ago, Time Magazine uh, published uh, on their cover. Um, the following title is truth dead and then a few years later um the oxford english dictionary declared as its uh word of the year post truth so in other words i'd say at the most and at the deepest philosophic level what they would be shocked about the most is that 20th and 21st century america uh, has given up on the idea of truth. And if you give up on the idea of truth, if you think you live in a post-truth society, then tr- all truth, including moral truths, are simply relative. And uh, America's revolutionary founders did not believe in the idea of relative truth. They believed in the concept of an absolute, certain, permanent, universal mm. concept of, of, of truth. So... I would say that's the single most important uh, difference between their views and our views today. But then, of course, I mean, 
you know, there are scores of examples from day-to-day life in the United States today that they would be appalled by. I mean, just the size of government. Yeah, that's the one that comes to my mind first. They would would be shocked at. Well, listen, it has been a joy to meet you, as it were. And uh, your book is a joy. America's Revolutionary Mind, A Moral History of the American Revolution, and the Declaration that Defined It. Ladies and gentlemen, I commend it. Professor Thompson, I thank you. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership program offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you enjoy your podcast, take a moment, tell a friend to subscribe today.